Welcome to episode number 25 of the John Riley Project. It's Sunday. It's December 30th. Tomorrow is New Year's Eve. Wow, we got a great um, episode in store for you. We're going to be talking about three people here in our local community. I think have done some exceptional things that I like to highlight some of their uh, their work and offer some of my commentary. And those three people are Poway Unified Superintendent Dr. Marion Kim Phelps um, and a guest column that she recently wrote. I also like to highlight the work of Chris Cruz and some of the work she's doing with water and sewer rates. And then finally, I'd like to highlight the work of uh, Amit Asaravala, who also wrote a guest column in our local paper uh, about solar energy. And so those are the topics we're going to discuss. And um, uh, first, I want to say, hey, thank you. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're listening on Apple iTunes, on um Tune in on Stitcher, on Spotify. You know, we try to be on all the different, uh, we're on Google Podcasts now too. So we're, we try to get on all the different audio only podcast platforms. So if you're listening there, thank you. If you are watching on YouTube, thank you. So I invite you to, you know, connect in the community that I'm trying to create. So you can, um, you know, certainly if you're uh, following on uh, YouTube right now or watching on YouTube now, Right below, there's a subscribe button. Please subscribe. I appreciate that. I invite you to reach out and, and connect on social media. You know, we, I'm talking about some things here in the podcast, but I invite all of you to continue the conversation in social media. Go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. There you'll see links to all of my social media, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the whole lot. Um, you can also send me a note and uh, from the website, if you have some suggestions or comments, maybe you'd like to be a guest for a sit down interview. Love to hear that. Or maybe you have a recommendation for a guest. And then certainly if you'd like to be a supporter of what I'm trying to do here, maybe you'd like to be a financial contributor, uh, be a donor, or maybe you're a business, you'd like to be a sponsor. Well, there are ways you can do that at the website, johnreillyproject.com. I invite you to do that. But today, you know, as I said, it's um, New Year's Eve Eve, and uh, this is a great time of year. I love it. This between Christmas and New Year's, you know, life seems to go at a slower pace. You know, uh, it's a good time to pause, to reflect, to think, to plan for 2019. I'm, I've been doing some planning. I hope you've been doing the same. It's also a great time to do a podcast. So here we are. So let's get into it. Let's let's talk about um, the three people that I mentioned at the top of the um, introduction. The first is Dr. Marion Kim Phelps. Um, she is the superintendent at Poway Unified School District, and she recently wrote a guest column that was titled No Place for Hate. This came out on December 12th, um, earlier this month. It's, it's still available if you want to check it out at pomeradonews.com, or if you have a copy of the paper, the Poway Chieftain or the Rancho Bernardo News Journal. This was published a few weeks ago, but I thought it was such a great column that I wanted to highlight, you know, some of the things that she spoke about and offer some of my thoughts and comments on it. But basically, um, Dr. Kim Phelps, good job. Um, so what she was doing is really reacting to the recent Poway hate crime that we had. And, you know, I spoke about this in a previous podcast. 
Um, in case you don't know, the quick summary is, is that um, a, a Jewish family had set up their um, decorations on the first night of Hanukkah. Um, you know, some hoodlums showed up. Uh, spray painted a swastika on the side of their home, vandalized their vehicle. It was immediately categorized as a hate crime. There was huge uh, outrage and objection from the public, you know, from city leaders. The news media covered it. And there's been a whole ripple effect from it, you know, all people standing up against it. And Dr. Marion Kim Phelps, you know, a, a civic leader, community leader, the superintendent of our school district, she could have chosen to look the other way, but instead she stood forward, strong backbone, and addressed the issue. So bravo. And in her article, she highlighted a couple of things um, that she thought were important. And it was interesting because she took the tactic um, you know, or uh, from the educational perspective, which makes sense. I mean, she runs our school district. Um, so one of the things that she spoke about in the schools is that they're working with young children and having a pledge to end hate. And I think that's a great place to start. You know, you educate children on what hate is and why it's unacceptable and getting them to, you know, pledge to end hate. And, you know, it's all about, you know, spreading love and not the hate. So a good initial step, I thought, um, in helping solve this problem, because it does have to start with education. Great place to do it is with our children in the schools. So superior job there. Um, Dr. Kim Phelps also encouraged having a lot of ongoing and difficult conversations about these very topics. And I mean, speaking for myself, I'm doing this podcast and it's not comfortable talking about anti-Semitism or racism or bigotry. I mean, honestly, I thought I'd be talking about a lot of other things in this podcast, but this event was kind of thrust upon us all. And I think it's important that we comment on it. It's important that we have these ongoing difficult conversations because that's the only way we can address it head on. That's the only way that we can share and understand and really gain a perspective from different people so that others will understand that there is no place for this kind of hate in our community. So um, these ongoing difficult conversations are important. And those are things that we need to be doing as adults, as parents, and in her case, as a, as a community leader, um, and as well as our teachers. I mean, we can look to a lot of adults in our community. So it's good that we address it head on, face the brutal facts as it were. Um, in her article, she also spoke about adults modeling good behavior. I mean, that makes a lot of great sense too. I think she was mostly thinking of those when cases when people act out, when they're having a bad day. Some people will revert to their reptilian brain and lash out at a group or a stereotype or something along those lines. And you know, she's offering uh, that we use our better judgment in those cases and, and exhibit model behavior. Great recommendation, solid advice. And then finally, she spoke out about being an upstander rather than a bystander. So when something as egregious as a hate crime exists, we don't look the other way. We stand tall. We address the issue. And she did exactly that. So bravo, Dr. Kim Phelps. I thought you did a great job with that article. There are a couple of sentences in, in your article that I thought were outstanding that I really want to share with, with the audience here, just because they really resonated with me. They're very much aligned with my own personal point of view. Um, she, she said, and I quote from her article, a stereotype is defined as a generalization about a group of people without considering individual differences. Stereotypes may start out as ignorance, but they can also lead to prejudice and other hateful behaviors. Well, 
absolutely. I think I think we can all agree that negative stereotypes are are a a horribly inaccurate way to view the world. I mean, this is people taking the actions and, and bad behavior of a few bad apples and projecting it across a large group. It's it's a way to assign guilt or blame to innocent people. It's the wrong approach. Um, and this is where I think it, it aligns a lot with how I try to see the world. And I try to judge the individual and not the group. And I think if we can get to that point where we're judging individuals rather than the group that they come from, that is ultimately going to be the way that we're going to solve um, these issues of hate crimes, of racism, bigotry, prejudice, et cetera. It's going to be it's going to be solved by judging the individual. And you know we can roll the clock back, you know, to the the early 1960s and the civil rights era and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the steps of the Capitol in his I Have a Dream speech. And you know, I paraphrase, but he said, I have a dream that my young children will live in a world where they will not be judged on the color of their skin, but instead on the content of their character. And this is exactly what we're talking about here. It's about judging the individual's own character, their own behavior, their own skills and experience. It's really about assessing that individual rather than projecting some type of a stereotype or judgment on an entire group. And that makes a world of sense. And I think if we can get beyond this group judgment, then we're going to be able to get beyond um, a lot of a lot of this this ugliness. But sadly, this notion of seeing people in groups rather than the individual is completely clouding um, politics and social discourse. That's what all of this identity politics is about. It's you know people are proudly defining themselves based on their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, um, you know, and a lot of these immutable characteristics. And it's just, in my opinion, I think it's just silly because it's we're looking. People are looking at it as in terms of how much of a victim are they, and I think we people we need to get to the point where we're judging people as individuals. And in this particular case, these 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 people that committed this hate crime were judging this family not as individuals, not on their own individual character, but they were judging them because they were Jewish and they happened to be celebrating their holiday. Um, they were assigning a negative stereotype to that family, and they just labeled them. My guess is they never even knew them. So, you know, Dr. Mary and Kim Phelps stood for this family. I didn't realize this, but th- they are school employees. They were bus drivers um, that lived in that home, and and she stood proud. So bravo to you, um, Dr. Kim Phelps, for, for saying that. Um, but just to go a step further with this, you know, I— and you'll hear me talk about, I've, I've often talked about in other podcasts about individual rights, because I'm a big believer in individualism being superior to collectivism. And this is one great example of it. But I think we let's go a step further. It's a little bit of a tangent, but it applies to the schools. And here we're dealing with a case of a hate crime against a religious group. Um, we're against, in this case, against Jewish, uh, the Jewish religion, people of the Jewish faith. In, you hear a lot of debate about in public schools, should we be teaching religion in public schools? And obviously that gets, you know, the people, for some people that kind of raises the hair on the back of their neck. 
I tend to believe that we should be teaching uh, religion in schools. Now, it doesn't mean that we should be evangelizing in schools or indoctrinating in schools. I, I don't mean it from that perspective. What I do mean is that in order for children or even adults to really understand the religions, the culture, the history, the traditions of all the various people across the planet, you need to do that via education. And heck, you go, you go into a world history class, you can't study history without also understanding and studying religion. You know, right or wrong, however you feel about religion, the truth is, is that over the course of human history, religion has played a critical role in human civilization, both positive and negative. And we can cite countless um, examples of that. But I think we can't shy away from it. I think if we are um, embracing, you know, I guess studies of comparative religions, I think that's helpful for children to understand all the different types of religions that exist, their cultures, their traditions, and you do it within the context of history, of social studies, social science, that makes a great deal of sense. So I'm hopeful that the school district um, can take this as an opportunity to, to continue that type of education in our schools. So um, in summary, thank you, Dr. Marion Kim Phelps for that article. I thought it was outstanding. Uh, the second person that I really like to highlight is Chris Cruz, and uh, I've spoken about Chris in the past. Uh, she is the leader of the of the South Poway Votes Facebook group, which, by the way, is a great group, and I encourage you to join. It it's um it's a it's a Facebook group where people are talking about Poway issues, and it's called South Poway Votes, but really it's about all of Poway. It's North Poway, South Poway, East Poway, West Poway, Central Poway. I mean, whatever point on the compass you want to talk about, the people in this group are always discussing Poway issues. And to Chris's credit, I mean, she's a She's a, a community activist. She's engaged in local politics. Um, you know, she has her own perspective, as do many of the people in the group. And we can make our assessments at that level. But what I'm really trying to say is it's a great place to have conversation and to listen, to learn, to engage. And I like going into the group and, and having that dialogue. Well, one of the topics that Chris has talked about in South Poway Votes is this um, concept of what the city of Poway is doing with water and sewer rates. And she is challenging um, whether the city is keeping the water and sewer revenue distinct and separate from the city revenue from other tax sources. I mean, essentially, she's a proponent of having almost like an Al Gore lockbox for Social Security, but instead of having that for the water and sewer. And I'm a proponent of this as well, that the revenue that comes in for water and sewer rates should fund water and sewer. And that that unit, that that bucket, if you will, should exist separately from the rest of the operating budget of the, of the city. And for most locales um, in San Diego County, that's the way it's done because they have separate water districts. Where here in City of Poway, the water district and the city operations are all merged under one umbrella. But I think it makes a great deal of sense to keep those um, groups separate uh, because otherwise it gives us a, a, um, a misleading perception of the financial condition of the city, um, a misleading perception of the financial condition of our water and sewer um, operations. Now, obviously, the city operations, which fund sheriff and fire and parks and rec and roads, 
the primary revenue sources for that are money that are collected through property taxes, through sales taxes, and there are some other smaller revenue sources. It makes sense to keep that contained and then the water and sewer separate. Well, she's always been a, a challenger of the notion that these funds are being intermingled. She's doing her own forensic accounting. She's doing uh, public record requests, freedom of information requests, and has gathered a great deal of data from the city of Poway to try to get a better understanding. Um, so, in fact, she has put out a call that, that if there are any um, accountants that are particularly interested in the topic, she could use some help to better understand that data. So I put that out to you here in the audience. If this is a topic of interest and you happen to be an accountant or someone that's very interested in such data analysis, by all means, reach out to Chris Cruz and offer your assistance. Um, but um, I think we're going to learn a lot more about some of this um, in a water and sewer rate workshop that's coming up. And that'll be on Tuesday, January 8th at 7 p.m. I, I believe it's going to be at the Poway City Hall. And they're going to be rolling out you know, all the new rates. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Q&A and discussion as it pertains to water and, and sewer in the city of Poway. And they've already released an agenda. And they've said that the, um, the prices are going up. And that's, doesn't, that doesn't surprise anyone, I don't think. So um, the price for water commodity use rate is going up 4.5%. Water meter charges going up 7.5%. The sewer commodity and fixed sewer charges are going up 3.25%. And the city in, in the release of this has kind of partly rationalized it and said, well, yeah, the rates are going up, but remember that temporary surcharge that we had during the drought? Well, that's going away. It, it expires at the end of the year. It expires, I guess, tomorrow. Um, so since that's going away, well, we're raising the prices and it's going to be roughly even, so no big deal. And I just think to myself, oh, yeah, here we go. I mean, how often do we ever see a, a, a temporary rate increase, a temporary tax end up being truly temporary? What ends up happening is, is that they become and become permanent either directly or in this case, indirectly. Um, so we're going to still be paying the extra fees. So I think we're going to learn a lot more about this at the workshop. So um I'm uh, looking forward to going and listening and learning. But I mean, water is an interesting topic in general. For me, it's something I'm fascinated with and I, I'm always trying to learn more. I mean, I admit that I only know this much about water and, and I know this is a huge issue. There's a lot of professionals that are deeply involved in it. But, um, you know, I, I think we can all, maybe you've already seen some of these documentaries. Maybe you've talked to people about the water in the Central Valley of California for farmers and how they have greater access to water. They don't feel the pain of drought to the same level um, as residents do. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of, I guess, different rules that applies to farmers. Um, for us as homeowners, as, as renters, as, you know, regular residents, you know, we had to pay extra fees for water. We had to conserve. Um, but some of those same rules didn't necessarily apply in the Central Valley. At the same time, you know, there's a lot of shenanigans that are going on with water rights. And uh, so there's, there's a number of fabulous documentaries. There's a good one on Netflix that talked about this. I encourage you to check it out. It's very interesting. Um, but I think it, one of the issues that I, I wonder, and I have this debate in my mind all the time, is, is water a, um, is it a human right? And I think a lot of people believe that. You know, we need water to exist. So should since since water is a human right, does that mean that water rates should be kept 
artificially low. And in some cases, some people believe water should be free. Um, that's one perspective. There's the other perspective that says that, well, water is just another commodity and the pricing for water should adjust based on market conditions. Now, I generally land in that second group where I see water as, um, as an economic commodity. And so I've often wondered um, why water isn't more expensive. I mean, because if we live in a desert, if we're trying to conserve, you would think that prices would go up if we're trying to manage a scarce resource. Not that I'm encouraging prices to go up, not that I'm pleased with the rate increases that are coming from the city of Poway. I'm just thinking more conceptually. Um, and so I, I think it's an interesting topic to discuss, and perhaps we'll hear a little bit of this at the, um, at the workshop on January 8th. But I did some more digging, and I went and I just did the math on some of the um, the price for water. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know they talk about water units and the price per unit. Well, right now we pay five dollars and thirteen cents per unit of water, um, and then they have added a seventy five percent temporary surcharge for the drought. So when you add it up, we're paying five dollars and eighty eight cents per unit of water. A unit of water is a hundred cubic feet. So, you know, width, length, and depth. If you can imagine that three-dimensional container of water, a hundred cubic feet of water is 748 gallons. That costs $5 and 88 cents. So, so think about that. That means the price per gallon is eight tenths of a penny. It's 0 .008 per gallon. I mean, so water if you look at it in comparison to other, I mean, obviously compared to gasoline, water is unbelievably cheap. And to kind of hammer this point home, I went, um, remember when we were in the drought, you know, in the, in the really heavy part of the drought, probably about, um, you know, five, six years ago, um, when the, the conservation was, was a really heavy topic, I thought to myself, well, hey, if there's a big problem, um, if there is some disruption in the market, that's obviously a great opportunity for an entrepreneur to provide solutions to help people. And so I investigated um, various types of technology that could be um, made available to homeowners to help them save water. Um, but the more digging that I did, the more I found that it was a difficult financial model to sell it because the price of water being so cheap, um, you know, any kind of savings doesn't really save that much money and therefore made it hard to justify the investment in the technology to save the water. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of different types of technology. And one of the classic ones are the, um, the, the rain uh, runoff, you know, that's capturing in large tanks after the rains. There's a number of different kinds of technology that exists, but it's hard to sell that because the price of water is so cheap. So I, I'm just kind of intrigued with the economics of water. I'm intrigued with this notion of water rights, not only in terms of what it means as a human right, but what it means in, uh, in terms of, um, what's the word for it, where uh, the, the water, you know, the, the runoff, you know, that comes, comes off the mountains, who has access and, and property rights to all that water runoff. I'm intrigued by that. Always interested in learning. And, and by the way, that's part of the reason that I started the John Riley Project. I'm just generally inquisitive and I enjoy learning and discussing these issues. So I'm, I'll throw this out there. I, I, if there are people that are listening or watching that have um, great interest in water, have some expertise that would love to come and have a sit down conversation, I put that invitation out to you. 
uh, and we can have a, a wonderful discussion and we can share that with the community and we can all learn. Um, I think that would be terrific. And, and heck, Chris, Chris, when you're finished with your um, analysis and your findings, I welcome you to join me here and we can go through it and share it because I think some of the, the data that you're uncovering could be very, very valuable. So I'm cheering you on um, and on the work that you're doing. But one other angle with, with water that I find fascinating is how, how can we um, as a civilization living in the desert really be able to solve the challenge with water? Because right now we have to import the vast majority of our water, either from Northern California or from the Colorado River. And I know, you know we, there are dams here in San Diego County. They just um, extended the, the height of the San Vicente Dam. I don't know if you've ever seen it when you're driving southbound on the 67. I mean, it's enormous. Um, but, you know, that only that only uh, offers a, a small fraction of the necessary water for the county. But ultimately, I think technology is going to solve these problems. You know, we have the desalinization plant in Carlsbad. I think that's great. Last I heard, it was about 12% of the water uh, for the county was coming from the desal plant. That's fantastic. Um you know, and even when um, City Councilman John Mullen was here, you know, he joined us for a uh, podcast when he was running for re-election a few months ago, and he sits on a number of county boards, and one of them is one of the water recycling boards, um, and and they've been able to develop technology that takes you know extremely dirty water and transforms it into water that is not just simply suitable for drinking, but is actually cleaner and more pure than the natural water that we get from the Colorado River or from Northern California. So again, I think there's like technology that can help us recycle water. There's technology that can help us transform salt water into pure water. I think it's it's a fascinating topic and I enjoy learning it, uh, about it. So I'm hoping to go to this, um, this uh, workshop on January 8th you know, perhaps you're interested, maybe you might want to, to join us there and listen and learn, hear what the city has to say about water rates. I'm sure there'll be some people in the audience that will um, zing a few challenging questions. That should be interesting to hear how that goes. Um, you know, perhaps I'll try to live stream it. If I can get all my, my gear organized, I'll do that. Um, the third person that I'd like to highlight um, is Amit Asaravala. And Amit uh, recently produced a guest column in our local paper, titled Climate Change Begins at Home. That came out on December 20th. And again, if you want to read that article, go to pomeradonews.com or if you have one of the more recent copies of the Poway Chieftain or the Rancho Bernardo News Journal, you can, you can check it out in print. I thought his um, column was outstanding. And, you know, we hear a lot of um, discussion of climate change and, you know, it's heavily politicized. And I mean, heck, you can you go on Facebook or Twitter and there's all kinds of people chirping about climate change. Either they're on one extreme side where they think, you know, the world's about to end and then, or there are people on the other extreme site that think it's a hoax. Um, you know, I personally tend to believe the science. Um, and I know there's other people that are skeptical of the science, but, um, Amit took a different angle to this. And I, I thought it was very worthy of applause. And the title says it all. Climate change begins at home. So what he's saying is, you know, rather than, you know, other people kind of dictating to others what they should do or having the heavy hand of government, um, you know, suppress the freedom or um, the, the market dynamics of a business, what are the things that you can do personally? Look in the mirror. What are the things that you can do at your home? 
And so I want to quote a couple of uh, sentences from his article that I thought were really good. He said, um, the environmental benefits of going solar are clear. The electricity used by a typical American household releases over 14,000 pounds of carbon dioxide, according to the EPA. A properly sized solar power system can offset 80 to 100% of those emissions, the equivalent of planting hundreds of trees each year. I mean, it's incredible. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, we're not burning fossil fuels when we put solar on our homes. So, I mean, but the amount of um, carbon dioxide that's released in the atmosphere that's saved by doing solar is tremendous. But then he, he took an economic angle to this, which I think is very valuable. He said, and I quote again from the article, my family is expected to save at least $50,000 over the lifetime of the system we installed. I can think of plenty of places I'd like to spend that money, and none of them include San Diego Gas and Electric. I'm thinking, yeah. I mean, no one likes paying their electric bill. But I'm sure some people read that, and I bet there were some people that said $50,000. I mean, come on. There's no way. And I read that, and I said, I think that's conservative. I think he may be saving more. I mean, I look at my own home. We installed solar we're saving, roughly speaking, about 300 bucks a month on electricity just by putting in solar. And do the math, 300 a month times 12 months, that's 3,600 a year, and project that over a 30-year lifespan, that's like $100,000. So he's saying 50, like I said, I think that's conservative. So um, the economic benefits to solar are clear too. Um, And then he went on further, and I thought this was another good angle. He said, we must ask them. And when he says them, he means local leaders like, you know, city managers, city councils, school superintendents, you know, people that run local government. He said, we must ask them to do what is environmentally and fiscally right by forming long-term plans to address carbon emissions. These plans should include goals for installing solar on city buildings and gradually replacing service vehicles with electric cars and trucks. Again, great idea. Um, and I know that the Poway Unified School District is already doing this. They do have solar. In fact, there's a we see solar now that's in the, uh, the senior lot at Poway High, and I know that partly helps out the Performing Arts Center. Um, I, and I know there's been other solar initiatives. I think there was one at Rancho Bernardo High School. But we, the school district should be encouraging this, and show, so should city government, you know, whether it's the city of Poway or the city of San Diego, just power your own facilities with solar, save huge money, and then that provides huge benefit to taxpayers. But then, you know, even with the replacement of the vehicles, um, you know, and we've talked about this in the past, like the city of Poway has a really fiscally disciplined process for um, amortizing the expense and saving money for vehicles. So if they buy a vehicle and they know it has a lifespan of, let's say, eight years, in year number one, they save one-eighth of the replacement cost. In year two, they save another eighth of the replacement cost. So over the course of eight years, they've got enough money saved to buy another vehicle. Well, first of all, it's a great process. Um, It's a process I would encourage PUSD to follow. But still, when it comes then time to replace that vehicle, why not get an electric vehicle? Uh, Because the technology has come such a long way. Uh, And I'm going to get into that in a second. It makes a lot of sense for the city to do this. You know, and this this topic came up at the uh, candidate forum um, for for the candidates that were running for uh, Poway City Council and for mayor that took place at the... um, 
the community center. It was the first of the two com- uh, candidate forums. And one of the questions was, what can you do about climate change? And there were some candidates that said, well, there's nothing we can do. We were just a little itty bitty poway. How are we going to affect climate change? And yeah, from that perspective, I get it. Um, I think other people were afraid to say anything because they didn't want to have any mandates or dictates of, of homeowners or businesses to you know conserve or to install technology. But the obvious answer was what Amit is saying here is the city can take action themselves to simply make their, their operations not only uh, better for the environment, but more economically prudent for taxpayers. And I think that makes great sense. But I really liked it because they were all... The solutions that Amit was putting forward were all voluntary solutions. They were not the heavy hand of government dictating to others uh, on what to do. So that was wonderful. Um, now, speaking for myself, my own family, we've done a lot of this. Um, and I mean, I could tell you, we, we installed solar on our home. We've done, we have solar for our pool. We have electric vehicles. Um, we have LED lighting throughout our home. We've abandoned a lot of our thirsty avocado trees. We've done mulching to conserve water. We recycle just like pretty much all of us do with the blue um, Edco uh, bins. But I want to talk about solar for a minute. We got solar um, at Costco and we bought it from a company called Sunrun. And it cost us nothing, zero dollars up front to install solar on our home. And so we're essentially leasing the system. And instead of paying San Diego Gas and Electric, we are paying Sunrun for that electricity. And if you looked at the electrical portion of our SDG&E bill, not the gas part, but just the electric part, at the peak summer months, we were spending sometimes over $700 a month just to run our air conditioning so much. Um, but you know, generally, our, our electric bill is going to be somewhere in that $400 to $600 range. Well, now what we're paying for our electric is like 200 something that's going to Sunrun. That's why I said we're saving, you know, roughly $300 a month and that's roughly accurate. So it costs us nothing uh, to install it and we had immediate savings in month number one. And the other beautiful part of it is, is, you know, San Diego Gas and Electric has some of the highest electricity costs in the entire nation and the rates keep going up, especially as more and more people are putting in solar. Um, but with this uh, plan that we have, our rates stay the same for the entire term of the agreement. They never increase. So each subsequent year, it's almost like we're putting more money in our pocket compared to what we were spending previously. So to me, it's such a no-brainer. Now, some people are actually making the investment themselves and purchasing the equipment and installing it on their home. And for those people, they're actually able to achieve a far greater return on their investment we took the simpler way. It was like no money out of pocket and immediate savings. It was just an easy way to go. But um, if you're contemplating solar, you know, get off the dime and do it because I think it's a great solution. The other thing I think it's worth talking about are electric vehicles. Um, our family has been, um, you know, an early adopter of electro- electric vehicles um, since about 2013, and I think is when we got our first one. Um, so we went from a Ford C-Max, which was a plug-in hybrid, um, you know, and then we uh, went on to a Ford Focus EV and then a BMW i3. Now we have a, um, a Chevy Bolt, a Bolt with a B, um, and um, I'm about to get a, a Hyundai Kona um, electric vehicle. It'll be coming out um, in early 2019. 
The Chevy Bolt is an awesome car. Uh, my wife says it's her favorite car she's ever owned. It gets 238 miles on a single charge. So she's able to take that car and drive from Poway all the way up to Los Angeles and back and never have to recharge. Um, it, it gets great um, range. It's fun to drive. It's got a lot of um, cool toys that are in the car. It's In many ways, it's like driving a video game. Uh, so you're trying to always optimize your energy as you go. Um, I Just until recently, I had a BMW i3 that had about 80 miles of electric vehicle range, but it also had a tiny motorcycle engine in the back that when the batteries got low, the motorcycle engine would kick on to charge the batteries. And then those batteries would replenish and then the batteries would continue to power the, the, the engine and turn the wheels. Uh, and that car was fantastic. Um, I just wish it had a little bit more range. And that's why I'm holding out for this new um, Hyundai Kona EV that's coming out that's going to be around 250 to 260 miles of range. It'll be even more than the Chevy Bolt. So electric uh, vehicle technology has come a long, long way um, in a very short period of time. And there's a lot of negative perceptions about it. Some people think that you know, you have a very short range. Well, that's changing dramatically. Some people think the cars are really expensive. That's changing dramatically. The, the Chevy Bolt and this Hyundai um, Kona that, I, that I'm planning to get are a lot less expensive than Tesla's. Um, some people think they have no power. Well, that's not true. The, these cars, the torque on them is insane. It makes them so fun to drive. So we, we love electric vehicles and these are great things that you can do as Amit said in his article, climate change begins at home. So, um, you know, oftentimes when I hear people, when they're, you know, when they're people that are strongly politicizing climate change and talking about the things that we need to do as a society, one of the first things I ask them is, is what kind of car do you drive? And uh, I think it's a good challenge question. Uh, and many people are shifting over to these EVs. So um, I think it's great technology. And I think those are things that, that we can all do individually. But I will put this out in terms of sort of full disclosure. Um, you know, I've talked in the past how I'm a big advocate of free market. Um, I'm a big advocate of getting government um, out of the way of central planning and economy, of doing subsidies or tax credits. So we see a lot of this with the green technology, whether they're tax credits or rebates from solar or from electric vehicles, et cetera. I do not at all in any shape or form support that policy because it rigs the marketplace. It's cronyism. Certain companies are rewarded. Other companies are not. Um, it's manipulation creates all kinds of distortions in the market. I don't think it's right. Um, I think government should be more hands-off and just kind of treat people equally under the law rather than distorting it, tilting playing fields. Um, but I am very happy to take those credits. Even though I don't agree with them politically, I know that I don't have any ability to change the system. What I do know is my own reality. My own reality is I pay a tremendous amount in taxes, federal tax, state tax, Heck, even at the local level, we pay quite a bit. Um, this is a way that I can get my tax dollars back. So that's why I'm very happy to go and, and, and get solar, to get um, electric vehicles, because I think it's, it's really the way that the game is set up. Um, that's, those are the incentives that exist. And so I'm going to play the game to maximize position, my position. I have no problem with that. It's a lot of it. it some people might say it's a, it's a difference between what the reality that exists today or the reality that you would like it to be. Well, 
I'm going to live in the reality that exists today. And so I'll take full advantage of those. But I do hope that we can get to a point where we don't have any of those kinds of incentives and that each of these technologies can exist properly in a free market. That's the policy that I would hope for. But these incentives do exist. And given how much you're paying in taxes, I would encourage you to take a look at it because it's a way you can get some of your tax dollars back to benefit you and your family. So climate change begins at home. I mean, I think it's a great theme. I was a great article. Amit, thank you very much for that. Um, really appreciate it. And again, you are always welcome to join me here on the John Riley Project. Have a conversation. I've invited Chris. Um, Dr. Marion Kim Phelps, you are also invited to join me here in a discussion. This project that I'm I'm putting together, I really want to have these ongoing difficult discussions. I want it to be a community um, kind of a project. That's why I encourage you to reach out and connect with me on social media. Uh, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. There you can see all of our social media links. Connect with us social on social media. Continue the conversation. Um, always looking to welcome guests uh, to participate in the discussion. And um, you know, I'm always going to focus on these topics in North County um, inland, you know, this Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Saber Springs, Rancho Penasquitos, Forest Ranch, Del Sur, Westwood, this whole community here. Um, I'm going to be paying close attention to topics here. And, and so the, in many cases, this podcast is, I'm creating it for me, but I think you can get a great deal of benefit out of it as well. So um, this concludes episode 25 of the John Riley Project. Have a great New Year's. Um, I'm trying to put together a few more episodes right now, so hope to release those very, very shortly. But have a great um, rest of your holiday season and uh, looking forward to a great 2019. Thank you very much, everybody. Goodbye.